chaos is defined as this, complete disorder and confusion. Other words or synonyms for the word chaos are such as this, disorder, disarray, disorganization, confusion, mayhem, bedlam, pandemonium, havoc, turmoil, tumult, commotion, disruption, upheaval, uproar, and maelstrom. And I sort of went to Wikipedia and I said, where's a, another definition? And this is actually what they said. The Rice household over the last four days of snow out. <laughs> Chaos. Amen, parents? Amen, right. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says this. For God is not a God of confusion or chaos, but of peace. And so God has used his church. He's, used, he's asked and, and equipped the local church to be the vehicle by which he's gonna change the world. That's the vehicle that he has chosen. That's the vehicle that he has empowered. And that's the vehicle that he is going to use to, to change the world. Now, let's understand that church is not the building, it's the people that make up the local assembly of the body. And therefore, the church has been given great responsibility to be an organized approach to do exactly what God called us to do, and that's to change the world. One aspect of this organized approach to really affect and do what God's called us to do is the ministry of deacons. And it's that focus that I want to talk about this morning. You see, we at Northwest are Jesus-ruled, elder-led, and congregationally accountable or responsible. In, in order for us to be Christ-centered or Jesus-led, in order for us to do that, in order for our elders to do what God's entrusted them to do, to, to lead with the vision, to teach the word, to pray, in order for them to do that, and for, in order for us to be congregationally accountable and responsible, that largely depends upon the servanthood of the ministry known as the ministry of the deacons. And it's that what I wanna to talk to you about this morning. You came in, we had a little purple little recommendation form. And at the end of the message this morning, at the end of this week, or excuse me, the end of this morning, and even into the week, I, I want you to prayerfully consider what we're gonna go through, the requirements, the standard by which a deacon serves at Northwest. And I would really, really encourage you to really prayerfully consider how can our, our church be a church whereby we have an organized approach to see the world changed by the beautiful message of the gospel, to proclaim his great name? And, and one of the ways that we can continue to do that is to really continue with our deacon ministry the way it is, but even take it to another level. And I'm so honored and privileged to be able to provide leadership through our, from our elders to be able to do just that. And so what I want you to do is I want, to, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, starting in verses 1 through 7. You can also tell as you're turning there that the table is set. And what the deacon ministry helps us do is to proclaim the message of the gospel, as I said. But one of the purposes of the table is to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And so really that's our theme for this morning is the proclamation of the word and how that is done. Again, one way that is done is accomplished through the deacon ministry. So let's go to Acts chapter six, one through seven. And I'm gonna read. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word 
of God to serve tables. Verse three, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicolaus, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. In verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What we learn in this passage is really about how the deacon ministry got started. The word deacon was not used at this time, but has been, this text has been used for the foundation, the infancy of a deacon ministry. And there are really three aspects I want to point out to you this morning before we go on to 1 Timothy and look at the qualifications. But let's take a look at what it says. First and foremost in verse 2. Verse 2, it says this. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. What's going on right now is that the deacons were overwhelmed. The church was overwhelmed. The church was exploding. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel had been spreading in the four corners of the world. And what had taken place was the early church was growing at an exponential rate. And so I thought, how is a way that we can be organized to best fulfill the command that God's given us? And so the early disciples got together and, and they selected some people, some, some guys, to be able to shepherd the people, provide for physical needs. So the first thing I want you to see in an observation is this. Deacons are to care for the physical needs of the body. As I said, the church was growing exponentially. And what was taking place is some people were getting things and some people were not getting things. Some people were getting fed and some people were not getting their portion. And so there was an argument between the Gentiles and an argument between the Jews. And there was this great complaint that was arising. But at the end of the day, the deacons were founded and were appointed and were, were designed to really care for the physical needs of the body. If Northwest is going to be the church that God's called us to be, it's important that we have that addressed in our, need, in our, in our congregation. It's important when it snows that we call people in the church that can't get out. It's important that we visit them. It's important that we check on them. It's important that we care for them and encourage them. The deacon ministry is designed or they were appointed so that the church could do all things and do them well and do them efficiently. Most importantly right now, but not to the neglect of those that are sick or in the body, but is to really make sure that we're being led by the elders so that they will make sure that the word of God is going forth, that the proclamation of the gospel is happening, and that the spiritual temperature of the church is healthy. And the deacons help by caring for the physical needs so that the elders do not get distracted in that process. Number two, I think it's also important that we see in the text is that there was a complaint that arose. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews. So we have the Greeks and the Jews because their widows were, not being, were to be neglected by daily distribution. Second thing I want you to see is that deacons are to provide unity in the body. Mark Dever says it this way, one way Satan can disrupt the proclamation of the word is to divide those on the inside. Unity building was their primary goal. 
The deacons, when they are selected here, are helping to eliminate possible conflicts within the body. And that's one of their processes. Another one is verse 7. If you Take a look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The reason I believe that that took place, the reason I believe that many people were reached and that happened, is because the deacons were in overall support of the entire ministry. They were encouragers. They were peacemakers. They bought in to the whole thing. We at Northwest, when we look at taking deacons and nominating deacons, we want to see someone that says, man, I love Jesus more than anything in the world. As an application of that, I've sovereignly been positioned and placed at Northwest Community Church to see my life grow and to see other people's lives grow because of the ministry of being here. And the deacon ministry, what they do is they are basically overtaking the entire compass of the entire ministry. They're all support. They're, they're all in on the entire focus of what we're trying to do. But you have to ask the question, okay, that's the early part of being a deacon. That's the, the, the first part we hear about this office or this thing that the church has called a deacon. So what are the qualifications? And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you'll take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's, I believe I have eight, I have nine, and we're going to go through these. Not laboriously, but we're going to go. I'm not going to read the text, but I'm also going to just make a, a statement. So in 1 Timothy, the church, excuse me, in the book of Timothy, Paul's writing a letter, and he's really giving Timothy some structure to this young pastor about really what the church can do, could be, and should be. And part of that is he gives them the qualifications of the elders. We call them overseers or pastors. And they're the ones that are sitting, sitting and basically taking a look at the complete ministry of the church, the spiritual temperature of the church. And one of their main gifts is the gift of teaching or the being apt to teach, the ability to teach, to break down the word of God clearly. That requirement, again, is not given to the deacons being apt to teach. And it's important as we go through this. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. First thing I want you to see in there is that what are the qualifications of a deacon? First thing is that the deacon is dignified. The word dignified normally means to something that is honorable, respectable, esteemed, worthy, and closely related to respectable. It's closely related to respectable, which was given to the elders. Now, I must say this. You know, it's not that the deacons are superhuman group of people. These qualifications, I pray for you that they're in your life, that there's a demonstration of the Spirit working in you. But as we get together as a body, and as we want our church to be focused on the gospel, to have the elders lead, and, and to really see the ministry go forth, to be congregationally accountable, then what takes place is that we have and we appoint people who have a reputation, they're dignified. Number two is, is that in, in verse eight, it goes on to say, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued basically means that they don't say one thing and do another. They're not contradicting themselves. Basically, their yes is yes and their no is no. They don't talk to you about one thing and go talk about you to someone else. That is a qualification of a deacon. They're not two-faced and they're not, ins they're not insincere, they're sincere. Their words can be trusted and they lack credibility. Go on. They're not addicted to much wine. And really, 
this in my own tradition has been like, oh, okay, that means you don't drink at all. That's not what this text is teaching. It's teaching moderation. It's teaching the deacon is to be led by the spirit and he cannot be led by the spirit if he is under the control of gross wine or excess of wine or even excess of food or whatever the case may be. But the, the deacon is basically told, not addicted to much wine. A man is disqualified from the office of deacon if he is addicted to much wine. Because that demonstrates, what does it show us? It shows us that that person lacks self-control and is undisciplined in their life. Another one is not greedy for dishonest gain. The Bible says it's not greedy for dishonest gain. And what does that mean? Is that the, it means that the person is not a lover of money. Now, now, obviously, we know that money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. You've heard that several times, said several ways, probably from the time you were young until you are right now. Um, we've heard that. It's, not the love of, it's, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And, and then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say that they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The phrase, the mystery of faith, is simply one way Paul speaks of the gospel. It's simply an explanation of the gospel. Let me read you a verse. 1 Timothy 3.16 says this. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed by nations, and believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is required for the, folk, for the person who takes the office of deacon is that not only is he living out his faith, but he has a deep faith. He can defend his faith. They can defend their faith. I use the pronoun he. We'll get to that in just a minute, just for clarity. But it's they can defend their faith. They can stand up for the message of the gospel. But not only that, there is not a contradiction in the way they live because the Bible says that they live it with a good conscience. The way you live it with a good conscience is you say it and you do it, and that is a requirement for a deacon and a requirement for you and me, for that matter. He, he goes on to say this as well. He says he's blameless. Paul writes that de deacons must be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they're to prove themselves blameless. I, I kind of wonder when I'm studying this, well, what is the testing? How are they tested? Is it a is it a sit down and interview process with eight people drilling you with questions? I do think that deacons need to be talked about what their theology is. What do, we need? what do you believe? What do you teach? Is it in line with where we are at Northwest? I think it needs to be vetted in many different areas. Personally, how they live their life. Is it a contradiction by what they say and what they do going back to sound in faith and life? I think it's a looking at their personal background, their reputation, and their theological expressions and how that's lived out. And again, I think it's the track record of service within the local church, as Mark Dever said. It's the track record. When we're taking a look at are they involved in the church, they understand the ministry of the church. If deacons, like we said before, are all in, they understand what we're trying to do, they believe in what we're doing, they support what we're doing. And is that evident by how they play out in their servanthood through the local body right now? And then verse 11 is probably the one that has the most controversy or most debate. Here's what it says in verse, verse 11. Verse 11 says this, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Well, here's the issue. The issue is, is what does their wives mean? Because the, the idea behind their wives, are, or the, it's talking about the deacon's wives. But here's the issue. Prior to this text, 
the text was talking about the, an elder, an overseer of the church, and there was no mention about his wife whatsoever. Then we come down here, and the translation is, the wife of the deacon must also do this. I believe the better translation here is women. Because otherwhere in scripture, other, other places in scripture, we see that Phoebe was a deacon. The reason that it was not used here or women was not used here is because deacon was often seen as a male or a female. There was no female version of the word. The word was neutral in, in essence. Women or men could, be, could serve in this way. And so when we take a look at this issue, I take great awareness because I grew up in churches that were like, oh, no women deacons whatsoever. And I believe that it was a misunderstanding of the text and I also believe that it was a misunderstanding of polity because we had just deacons only who functioned as elders. And I think the biblical model to avoid our opening is to avoid chaos and, and to have organization and have a unified approach is to sit there and say, hey, we want Jesus to be the ruler of this place. We want to be elder-led men of good reputation who handle the word and pray. And we want to have deacons, men and women, who take care of the physical needs of the church, who understand that unity is absolutely essential and understand that they can do that. And there is no greater place in our church for men and women to hold just that place. Number eight here is verse 12. It's husband of one wife. And he comes back to talk to the husband. And what he's assuming is that the deacon is married. And since if he is married, then I want that person really to be a one-woman man. I want him to be absolutely committed to his wife. At this time, there were concubines, and, and what they were suggesting in the local church is, hey, I want this person, one woman, one man, and I want him to be faithful to his wife. And that's the message of that text right there, or the meaning of that text. And then we come down to verse 12, the last part, where it says, they must manage their children and household well. A deacon must be a spiritual leader in his home. A man or husband or wife, a man, a single man, a single woman, they must be able to live with their, if they're not married, they must be able to honor the Lord with their life, with their body. But the home is a place where the gospel is displayed. And the issue here is not do you have a perfect home, aren't you grateful for that? But the issue here is do you have a home that represents and displays the gospel? Do you have a home where you, as a husband, or dad, are you pouring into your wife? Are you pouring into your life, to your family? As a woman, are you pouring into your family? Are you taking care of your, of your family? Are you living out that model of Proverbs 31, where children rise up and call her blessed? And, and so a deacon, ultimately, Mark Dever said this, and I think this is incredibly important. A deacon is one who is an encourager, a peacemaker, and supportive of the entire ministry, an entire of the mission, and entire of the vision as a whole. And so this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to help me because I want you, you who called Northwest Community Church your home, I want you to prayerfully consider over the next two weeks about someone you feel could help us do exactly what we want to do, and that is to pro proclaim the greatest message in the world. And that's really what we ultimately want to do. We want to be Jesus-ruled. We want to be elder-led and congregationally accountable. And the way we ensure that is having a group of people called deacons who at the very definition of who they are are servants to the Most High God, first and foremost. And that is seen and displayed in our local church.
And so I want your help. I want you who called Northwest Community Church your home. I want you to prayerfully consider and nominate someone. You can email it to me. You can fill this form out. You can give it to me. You can put it in the offering tower at the back. But what do, what do deacons help us do? As I said from the beginning to right now, deacons help us ensure that the proclamation of the gospel goes forth. And that is something to fight for. And that is something to be organized around. And when we take a look at what we're doing here, the table is for that reason alone as well. If you, can t- if you take a look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul says this, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, one of the reasons we come to the table, one of the reasons we come to the table is to proclaim that sin has been defeated, that death is no longer an enemy of us. We, we come to the table to stay focused because you and I know that we're gonna drift. And the table reminds us, hey, come back to the center. Come back to who Christ is. And also it helps us to, to see our seriousness of sin. When we come to the table and it says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns, what we're saying is that sin has been defeated. It no longer has a hold on us. And the table is for those people who have repented of their sins and place your faith in Jesus. And it's an act of worship so that we can come here and we can proclaim again what Christ has done. So the table is here so they won't forget. And what I want you to do is I want you to just spend some time. We, we come to the table, we, we have bread here, we have a, a juice. And, and simply, those are just symbols. They're just simply symbols of what Christ did for us. And what I want you to do in in the next just couple of minutes here is just spend some time just praying, making sure your heart is right before the Lord as you come to the table to worship him. So as Bill's gonna play in just a minute, I just invite you just to pray at your own leisure and we'll come to the table.